0: Visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHerCon.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, The Door Devil. Homeowners spend hundreds on alarm systems each year, but rarely reinforce the weakest point on the home, the doors. Bad guys know this, and that's why kick-ins are so common. Simply adding door devils virtually eliminates the home security gap. Sleep better tonight. Reinforce your doors. Visit DoorDevil.com and enter Best Ever to get an exclusive 20% discount on your purchase. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Bill Schaefer.
1: Hi, Bill. Hey, Joe. Pleasure to hey, be here. Good to
0: have you on. And the best ever listeners are going to enjoy this as well. A little bit about Bill before he gets into it. Bill and his wife own ten properties in total, twenty-two units in in Colorado and Wyoming, from single-family homes to fourplex. His company is called Reliant Real Estate Incorporated. He's been investing for uh, a little over 12 years. He's currently a real estate agent in Colorado. And one thing that he mentioned to me prior to this call that I found really interesting is he's bought properties, him and his wife bought properties uh, via owner financing, using their 401k, through mortgage brokers through just straight cash deals, banks, hard money lenders. He's run the gamut on the different types of ways to acquire properties. Uh, So really interested in talking to him about both acquisition and obviously his best real estate investing advice ever. So with that being said, Bill, can you give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more background on what you're focused on now and what you've been up to?
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, I want to start at kind of the beginning. I was raised in southeastern Wyoming on a ranch, and uh, there were two things that I took away from that that have helped my real estate investing career, and that's been hard work, and I learned how to fix anything. When I was growing up, we uh, worked seven days a week from dawn until dusk. In the summertime, that was you know maybe five fifteen to about nine thirty. In the wintertime, it was, of course, a little bit, uh, a lot less, actually. From my ranching background, um, I went to college. I'm uh, an engineer, which uh, that also has helped me with a a number of uh, endeavors that I've had. I guess I I started with the no-debt approach to life, and I I basically was going to buy my house and live my whole life with no debt. And uh, I went along for... Five or six years, and realized that uh, the price of real estate was appreciating faster than my ability to save. Even though uh, my wife and I were both working, we were kind of in a high uh, real estate market here in Denver. We moved around a bit, but uh, it, it still became apparent. And we bought our first house. We lived there again. We were going to pay it off and then be out of debt. And we bought too small for our family, and Gradually, over time, I just kind of realized that it wasn't going to work for me to live my life without debt. And we, when we started, look, we got a family. We had two kids and a 720-square-foot house. We decided we needed something bigger. Decided our approach was going to be to buy in a lower-cost area of town and then rent out our old home. And we re- refinanced that and took the cash and bought a down payment on a fixer. And started fixing it up and that got done fixing that. We went back and fixed the old one and then rented it out. And it kind of spiraled from there. Uh, I really didn't know what I was doing in the beginning with being a landlord. Um, my stepmother had uh, owned property and uh, I had really liked the idea of you know not having to work and uh, still get income. That really isn't true, but it appeared to be that way that when I first started and we ended up selling that house and i I did a house i I bought a house that we were going to fix up and flip and i worked so hard on it that i decided to keep it and rent it and we still have that house as well as the house that we the second house that we moved to and we just used a variety of different ways of growing our business over the years Uh, we were buying when there was the the liar loans the no money down we bought a couple properties with that we used our cash to fix them up and then we refinanced our cash out moved on to the next one and just kind of kept growing and we're both working full time jobs so it, it somewhat limited on the pace we we were willing to go and uh, it, that was probably a good thing because we could have really gotten in trouble you know with the with the no money down, our, our initial approach was to, uh, to make $100 a month beyond our taxes, insurance, and uh, mortgage payments. And uh, that, I, you know, if you're in investing very long, you, that's, that's going to catch you sooner or later. But fortunately, rents increased, um, and we were able to keep it all together, and we're kind of where we are now.
0: You've mentioned or I mentioned at the very beginning all the different ways that you finance the properties from hard money lenders to banks to cash to owner financing, 401K. How the heck do you determine what financing option is most appropriate for the property?
1: Um, Really, it depends on the plan. I mean when you're buying something like with hard money, that was a fix and flip. You know, That was what the plan was going in. Um, when we bought uh, the cash that we bought with, uh, those were uh, was a low cost property. We had developed, you know, built up our cash from our other uh, from flips or our cash out refis. So you know, it, it was cheapest that way. You know, when you just write the check, you just go to the bank. It, you know, the this was a foreclosure property, so our offer to the bank was all cash, no contingencies. You know, it was kind of funny. We offered them in a short sale, one hundred and twenty, and then when they got it back, we came back and offered them a hundred, and they took it. Nice. <laughs> so they ended up going through the foreclosure and losing twenty thousand and saving me that money. But uh, yeah, it, it really, it, for us, it was a function of what we had, what was available, what the deal had. and in, in most cases, it was really the circumstances that dictated that for us. You know, if we had cash, we would pay cash because it didn't cost us the money, you know, the financing, the mortgage broker fee and all of the paperwork that you sign with that. We would just come back and get our cash back out with a refi. When we did owner financing, I, you know, I'd never really even heard of it before, but it was all there was. We were at the point where, we passed the debt-to-income ratio. They had changed the loan requirements from ten properties to four properties. And if this guy was going to sell us his property, he was going to have to carry the paper because there was this. There was no other way for it. We didn't have the, you know, the cash setting us around at that point to do that. So he uh, he did a really good deal for us. The owner finance and the cash are the best in my mind because they have the less least cost for us. If you can't do that, then you go with the other routes that, that work.
0: Let's Let's talk about the cash deals. When you pay all cash for a property, the advantage is you're able to, in theory, get it at a discounted price because you're paying cash. The disadvantage is that you are not using the power of leverage that real estate lends itself towards. Unless you do a refinance on the property, so do you have a refinancing option lined up prior to closing with cash, or is that not a, a variable that you take into account?
1: Well, when again, when I did these, it was a different lending environment than it is now. You know, we that I would definitely have that figured out now. With I always have a plan a b and c when we approach a property uh because so many things can go bad that you so i would want you know a, at least two lending options in a deal that i put cash in that i was figuring on doing a refinance on the back end because uh things change i mean we were we were in a situation um uh, we took a loan out on a property that we paid cash for. It was a kind of an emergency fund and we had an emergency and we used the fund. Um, And so the, it was just a one year loan from a bank. And we went back to the bank to, uh, to, you know, I started about nine months out. I was like, I need to go approach these guys. Again, the lending environment was changing and they're like, we're not going to refinance you. And I said, what, Uh-oh. you know, and that was a huge, you know, we had to scramble and we got one of the last loans, you know, that allowed up to 10 properties in it before they pull those reins in for, a I mean, it's gone back now, but there was a while there that FHA and uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac would not, they wouldn't underwrite loans, you know, if you had more than four properties, and they, they backed off on that now, but you need to you need to have plan A, B, and yes. C. And, and that's the that's the <laughs> only way to do it. Otherwise, you're going to end up on the short end of the stick. Lot, <inaudible> lots of
0: different exit options prior to entering is important. Based yeah. on your experience investing in properties over the last twelve years getting all sorts of different types of financing, currently controlling and owning 22 units. What is your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: Uh, The best real estate investing advice I ever got was out of a a book that I read and it was uh, figure out what kind of tenant you want to rent to and then only buy property that they will rent. And... uh, I, I've focused, most of my development as a real estate investor has been in the area of property management, you know, just to optimize my own income on my properties. You know, it's kind of like the repositioning in multifamily. Um, you know, if you can figure out how to squeeze a few more dollars out of a property, it makes it more valuable. And it helped me afford property that maybe more on a conventional basis, I wouldn't have been able to afford. And by targeting the the type of tenant with the property that I purchased, then I knew that eliminated a lot of variables. It also, the the type of tenant that I was wanting, created a, a management style that meshed with my personality. So that, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of, I haven't had a lot of tenant drama. I haven't had a lot of, I haven't had an eviction. I've filed for eviction on a person, but they ended up moving out. So it, you know, it just creates a whole level of, of constraints that you're knowing ahead of time. You know, I, I have a friend that uh, he started to get into real estate investing and he went to some paid some big money for some boot camp and went to it and he learned, you know, all the numbers about cash flow and return on investment. And so he went around buying like crazy based on the numbers. And he ended up with, you know, properties that were in marginal condition in all the bad neighborhoods. And, you know, then he was wondering why he was getting, you know, he didn't screen his tenants very good. He looked one guy up and when he ended up evicting him, and he had to go all the way through and get the sheriff to put the guy out, you know, he had to. Uh, he looked him up on the county website where his property was, but when he evicted him, he found out that the guy had actually been evicted in every other of the five counties oh around. Oh gosh! So you know, it was a. Uh, it was. That's that's just the, poor screening. Focusing on the tenant. <laughs> that's terrible <Yeah>. screening. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's terrible screening,
1: but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And he was dealing with, you know, he is like me, he's a professional comes from that kind of background. He was not prepared from his experience in dealing with people to deal with a liar, a cheat and a thief. You know, it's, you know, if you're accustomed to that, then you would have the screening techniques in place to deal with that. He didn't really realize what kind of tenant he was buying when he bought that property. Let's, so I am
0: so curious about this. I have never, ever heard this approach before and I read a whole lot and I talk to a lot of people so I am fascinated and I'm so happy that you mentioned this, of, this thing of figure out what kind of tenant you want to rent to and only buy property they will rent. First question, what yeah type of profile do you create when you're thinking of this tenant are we talking income range are we ta- I, I don't underst- help me understand this
1: well yeah so for me our ideal tenant is a young professional um, somewhere out of college that you know, has uh, a professional or semi-professional job, maybe not a college, maybe a trade school, probably not a trade school, but certainly a, tr- uh, a, maybe a service industry person that's not, not so much a waiter or somebody like that, but someone who's, um, works for a company in the service industry, maybe is a, or a teacher or, just that kind of demographic, uh, kind of an age range of, you know, probably 25 to 40. Um, and that somebody that is used to having nice things and living in an area where it's convenient to get to their job and to their fun or whatever else that they're involved with. You know, people, those kind of people expect things like washer and dryer hookups and, uh, you know, a yard or just, you know, they they kind of like nicer amenities. Not saying that I'm aiming for the top, but that's just the kind, that's where we were when we started and we we're like, well, we'd like to rent to people like us. And fortunately in that class, you know, there's a, a niche of Of tenants, They're not ready to buy homes yet. They're getting together as couples and they're, you know, wanting to see how all that's going to work. And so they'd be looking for a house or a bigger apartment. We kind of have general idea of what those people want in that particular demographic. And that's kind of what we shot for. I mean, we ended up with a lot of our properties in one area and uh you know it kind of became our farm right. where we develop relationships with people and it, it's worked out it's worked out good for us uh, conversely, you know, I know people that focus on and I think that there's more cash flow in this because we tend to have higher turnover because they'll stay with us a couple of years and then they buy a house. but you know other people focus on blue collar people you know, and they don't buy the they buy in that area. They don't go off somewhere else and look for a different, you know. Oh, that look—that's a you know a new shiny toy over there. That area is that house looks cheap, or that house looks like a good buy. And you know, you you stick with what the tenants you're set up to work with. You know, if you if your tenants don't have uh, bank accounts, you have to you know buy around where there's a bank so they can go deposit the money in the bank without having, you know, without going through the exercise of going over to the property and collecting rent. You know, our tenants all have bank accounts. They're used to automatic withdrawals and all that, you know, their check probably gets put in the bank automatically. And so our rent coming out automatically is that's just part of their world. So you have to kind of build your systems around your tenant you know if if I took my system and went and bought in a lower end neighborhood where everybody was you know on a cash basis or you know using the the check cashing services, I'd have to change I'd have to adapt and create some different systems in order to be successful at my right. business
0: yeah, and you took the you already responded to the question I was going to ask. Uh, I will ask the question, but you don't have to answer it because I'll answer it since you already stated the answer. And My question was, is the cash flow as good for the, these types of properties with the uh, higher earning resident with higher expectations? Therefore, the properties probably purchase at a little bit higher price uh, compared to the lower price properties – Uh, that are more blue-collar, that probably tend to stay longer because they're not buying the homes, um, they're staying in the property, and they're perhaps lifelong renters. And it sounds like what you mentioned is the cash flow is comparatively not as high, but as with anything, there are trade-offs, and I imagine one of the trade-offs is, well, you, you mentioned you've only had to go through the uh, you know, eviction process once, and you have 22 units, and you've been investing for 12 years. Well, conversely, my first property I bought for $76,000, uh, four-bedroom house in Duncanville, Texas, and Duncanville's a you know a, it's an above-average town. Uh, it's just south of Dallas, about 15 minutes. But we had to evict my very first tenant right out of the gate. I, uh, I tripped um, and since then though, I've had one tenant in there and this is since 2010. So for the last four years, I've had the same tenant paying consistently on time and they're probably going to be there for a very, very long time um, and so that's, that's the type of cost-benefit analysis I think we have to do as investors when we're looking at our strategies. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yep. Best ever book you've read?
1: The best ever book I read is the one that I got the quote from, and it's Buy and Hold Real Estate Investing by David Schumacher.
0: Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it?
1: Buying my first four-unit property. We bought in the same area that we had bought before, but in every area there's some that are not – some parts that are maybe not as uh, attractive and kind of we've we're trying to leverage our growth with not only appreciation but kind of picking an area that is turning and this property was bought in an area which i knew was going to take off but it wasn't it wasn't at that point yet when we bought it and the guy that had it before us was running to well there was a drug dealer i think there was a prostitute, you know, and these are not, you know, these are not glamorous. The the other unit was a hoarder. There was a trail through the unit. He was said, I can't show you that one. We, after when we went to do the inspection, he showed it to us, but there was garbage, you know, waist high and a trail through it to the bathroom. The, the, the tub didn't work. You know, it was a mess. Anyways, <laughs> So the, the lesson I took from that was I thought, well, I'll just clean this place up and I'll rent out to uh, you know, my ideal tenant. You know, this is, I'll fix them up and they'll be nice and they'll want to come there. Well, I couldn't get anybody to even go inside and look at what I'd done because they drove the neighborhood. And so I ended up having to buy, basically buy tenants. I had to lower my rent below market to get people to come there to uh to rent it and it's since turned and you know is in doing well but what what did you
0: buy it for what did it originally rent for what is it rent for now
1: well so i started out um it's four units three of them are one bedroom uh and they didn't have any you know two of them didn't even have a shower they were just a tub and then um I paid uh, two hundred and eighty thousand. I paid like way too much for it, and uh, he was renting the one two bedroom unit, which the one bedroom is kind of small. But he was renting it for six hundred, and the others were running for five hundred. And when I fixed them all up, I had to rent the one bedrooms for four fifty, and the two bedroom I did manage to get six hundred, but. It was he was only getting six hundred because it was totally trashed, and uh, and I had added washer and dryer hookups in uh, in the two bedroom unit as well, and redone the kitchens, and I didn't redo the I you know fixed up the bathrooms, but added the real shower to them, and so it it I don't know what it's worth now. Um, it's assessed at like two hundred and sixty thousand. Um, i'm getting 750 um 900 900 and like 1050 for the units um, one of the units i totally redid uh, w- added a stackable washer and dryer in the bathroom cuz it didn't have that and um, brand new kitchen and you know that was the last unit i did <laughs> so it's you know it, it's a process and i haven't you know i've not bought the best you know i always read about people buying screaming deals and i i didn't i didn't do that <laughs> yeah it sounds
0: like the cap rate was extremely low when you purchased it uh, but yeah, it's, I didn't, it's oh. yeah it's it's <laughs> i was i'm on my phone calculator while you were talking doing the numbers um but you know if it's in a good area and it's a buy and hold and you don't have investors to pay an eight percent preferred return, then that's a damn good deal. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I didn't know. I mean, what I didn't know was I didn't know anything about cap rates. I, like I said, when I started out, um, I put ten percent down on it. I had money to fix it up, and I thought, well, if I can rent it, I th- I was thinking I was going to get six hundred for the one bedrooms when I fixed them up, and seven hundred for the two bedroom. And because of the area, of course, I didn't do that. But I, I, there were some garages on there. I replaced the doors and I increased. I rented those out, and, so, and then I, um, because I added the washer and dryer, I was able to do some things uh, that that helped me out. You know, where I was breaking even. How long but, ago was this? You know, uh, I bought it. Uh, it's been eight years ago, almost. Well, no, eight and a half years ago. Got it. Ago. Okay. Best ever quote. Uh, The best ever quote is, a vacancy is a blessing compared to a bad tenant.
0: So true. So, 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 true. I love that. That might be my favorite quote of all time on this show.
1: Oh, I don't know. (laughs) It might have came out of Schumacher's book. It might have came out of uh, Landlording by Lee Robinson. And I might have picked it up on. Uh, I read a lot of mrlandlord.com. Man,
0: I and the reason why, and you know, is for at least from my personal experiences, the vacancy is costing you zero dollars, um, with the exception of you know the loss of potential income. Whereas the bad tenant is costing you. Money, Perhaps they're not paying or perhaps they're trashing the place and you're going negative. Uh, On top of that, you're having to spend a whole lot of time dealing with whatever issues that they're bringing to the table. So clearly, Bill, you put a premium on screening and having the right resident in your properties, and that's a way to um, minimize the risk. With with real estate, and um, I I wholeheartedly am a champion of that approach.
1: Yeah, there's the, there's one cost you missed, and that's the cost of eviction, too. You know, when you go to spending money on lawyers, and sure. if you get a tenant fights it, that costs you even more. So yeah, there's untold ways in which bad tenants steal money from you. and It's just there's no substitute for. For getting the right people in.
0: Well, thank you so much, Bill, for joining us and being on the best real estate investing advice ever show and uh, sharing all of your advice and your experiences with properties and investing and property management and tenant screening and picking the right tenants and all that good stuff. So thank you, sir, and we will talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.